if you would like to escape your parents for a little while, Miss Loretta and Miss Maria, that's my southernness coming out with the miss there now, um, are going to be going into the cafe. You do not have to, but you are more than welcome to. So uh, the rest of us, we're going to talk about Jesus's temptation. So if you have your bulletins, uh, it's in front of you. If you have your Bibles with you, it's the fourth chapter of Matthew's gospel. So the gospel according to Matthew, fourth chapter. Uh, it'll also be appearing by the magic of light on a piece of fabric uh, behind me. So this is what the word of the Lord says. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I've got to be completely honest, and I, I'm just going to That's one of my favorite sentences in all of Scripture, um, just because of the way it... it downplays that. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Uh, I have never fasted 40 days and 40 nights. I have fasted, but I have not fasted that long, but I have known some people who have, and uh, one of them you've actually met. Uh, he was one of my good friends, a guy named Andy, who uh, many of you know has passed away, not because of the fasting, um, and he did it, and he talked about how he couldn't have done it without other people, that it, it, like you literally... He was like, I could barely move as a result. Uh, so it, neither here nor there. I just love, I, I think every now and then scripture gets a little snarky. That's a little snarky right there. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him uh, to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this will I give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. So we're talking about the temptations that Christ went through. And he went through a lot. Uh, I think it's best to, to understand temptation kind of from this mindset that Oscar Wilde, if you ever read any of his stuff, he said he had a very effective way of getting rid of temptation, and that was to give in to it. Your temptations grow when you deny them. They don't decrease. So... I believe that most likely Jesus was not only tempted like us, he was probably tempted much worse than any of us had ever experienced because of the fact that he never gave in to them. There are temptations I have. Uh, most of you don't know this. Some of you do. I have very little self-control when it comes to orange juice. Now, you may be saying, oh, that's not that big a deal. Like, I have very little self-control when it comes to orange juice. Uh, I have been, there's a place in Madison called the Upper House where they do lectures every now and then. It's a wonderful place. I go there every so often. And if any of you remember Connor Hansen, uh, he and I went there one time and they offer free orange juice. 
And at the end of it, he was amazed. He was like, Robert, I just did not believe that anybody could drink that much orange. I just don't have any self-control there. Jesus, at least according to the, the Orthodox Christian belief, which is what I hold, was tempted and never gave in. So this was not just a like three-time temptation and that's it. It's probably all of his life. And it gets worse and worse and worse. Lent typically begins with two readings in the church, and I find this interesting. It usually begins with the story of humanity's sin, which is what Kaylee read for us. And then it usually also involves the reading of the temptation of Jesus. It's, it's so interesting to me because these temptations, well, there's some very specific things that are involved in it. The, the first of the temptations that Jesus goes through deals with his appetite. Not just physical. We are all tempted with our appetites. We all have things that we just have these cravings for. Sometimes they're needs, sometimes they're wants, but we see them and it just draws us in. Could be food, could be consumption on other levels. There may be advertisements that you know if you see that advertisement, you're immediately going to start thinking, oh, I want that. Like, to be honest, right now what's going through my head is I'm making popcorn when I get home tonight, okay? Because somebody made popcorn and did not offer me any. And she's acting all nice and sweet. But you notice she's still not offering me any. You laugh, but there's truth I mean, I'm making a joke there, but the reality is we have things that just get us and you, they just get in your crawl. Jesus is tempted by an appetite. And that appetite is a God-given appetite. We were designed to receive nourishment from food and to enjoy the process, to enjoy the eating and to enjoy who we eat with. Many of you enjoy the process of cooking the food. You just get into it. It's a part of the nourishment that happens. Those appetites are God-given. They are holy and they are wonderful. And yet Jesus, for this point, needed to deny it, and it became a temptation. It's interesting. The first scripture we read, the temptation there is also about appetites. That food looks good. That fruit looks good. He's also tempted on identification. If you are the Son of God. Now, sometimes we use the word if as in sense, but other times we use it to question. And you're like, what do you mean by sense? Well, like you have probably said to somebody, hey, if you're my friend, you'll go do this, knowing that what you're saying is, hey, would you bring me a cup of coffee when you come back? You may have done it with people you love. If you love me, you'll do this. And you're just joking about it. What you mean is because you value me, you're going to do this, and I know it. But then there are other times where we say if, and we mean if in the sense of like, Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Satan is, is using that, that question of, do you really believe you are the Son of God? If you are the Son of God, you can throw yourself down. And then the last one is that he uses glory. Who will receive the worship here? Who will be the one declared worthy? Now, the reason I bring this up is so often we hear things like this and it it becomes about self-discipline. We are all quite good at this. And I say we here because Tapestry Church, you are a bunch of very successful people. You may not feel that way, but think about the people that are in this room. Think about the people that you know are watching this video. 
you are very successful people. It, it amazes me. It actually amazes some of my friends when I talk about the number of people that we have that will get up here and lead music on any given Sunday. Eric, I'm going to use you for just a second. You, you've told me about your, your parents' church before. They've led music for a long time. Their church is significantly bigger than us. Do they have as many people leading worship as we do? It would be difficult for someone else to lead on their own. So, and I'm sorry if I kind of did that without your permission, but I, I didn't think you'd mind. Whereas we have so many people that, that want to do this and have the ability to do this that we literally just have a list that we rotate through. If you notice, we don't really ever have the same person up here anymore. I'm not trying to brag on television. You were just a group of hugely successful people. And the danger with that is, is it begins to make you think, I have to be able to do this on my own. Because it's worked out for you in some ways. Self-discipline's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Think of the hobbies you have. Think of the professional things you have. Think of the parenting things you have that involve self-discipline. That's not bad. It works out. It's just bad when it's what's ultimately your meaning. I don't know about you, but as a parent, raising my kids, I could do everything right and everything could still fall to pot. I think I just created a saying there. I don't think that's actually a saying, is it? Fall to pot. <laughs> fall, of, go to pot. There we go. Thank you. I mixed my metaphor. Um, guys, that self-discipline is not a bad thing until it's like it's entirely dependent upon you. And the reason I bring this up is what happens is we so often read the stories of the temptation and go, oh, this is a way for me to avoid temptation. If I just know the right scripture, I can take care of this. If I just have the right saying, if I just do the right thing or say the right prayer, it'll take care of everything. And yet the beginning story of Christianity that Kaylee read for us is that humanity had everything going for it. And we couldn't say no. I mean, literally, Satan's temptation is, did God say you can't eat from any fruit of the tree? Which is a lie. It's like, literally, you can eat everything except for this one. If you eat this one, you're going to die. Eat everything else. I like to think there was like a ribeye fruit tree there, okay? I could just eat this and be satisfied and thrilled. I don't get it very often, okay? So therefore, I would just be thrilled if we could just eat that all the time. God says, everything, eat it. They had one thing to say no to. And could they say no? No. And I think when we're honest to ourselves, we're the same way. We can be so self-disciplined. We can work out so many strategies to take care of so many different things. And we are just like Adam and Eve. We fail. Our self-discipline is so good until it fails. And the worst thing is, is that the tempter says to us again and again, if you just work harder, if you just try harder, you'll get it right. Oh, you didn't get it right. You're a bad person. That's why we come on Lent and we remember, we remember that we are dust. It doesn't mean you're a bad person at all. 
You are created in the image of God, and more importantly, you are loved by God even now after we have blemished that image. It was not just something that was done then. Think of the things that we have done. Think of the things that you have done that were selfish, the things that you have done that have hurt others that you loved, the choices that you have made. All of us in the room, we were created to look like Jesus. And so often instead we live like the tempter. So we come here to say, remember you are dust. But not for some reason that would would be you're a bad person. Not to say, therefore you're unworthy. When we come here, we want to declare the worth of Jesus and we declare the worth of Jesus best by how he grabs sinners like us and proclaims us to be saints. And there's a difference. So often we think sainthood is something that is earned by righteous acts. And yet what Jesus does instead is he, he says, oh, oh yeah, you're fallen just like your father and your mother beforehand, but I will declare you righteous. If you remember the words that Joanna read so effectively and Eric did an okay job of following after. I so wish Jan had been here. I'm I'm missing her right now. She'll be back eventually. But if Jan was here, we all know what would have happened when Joanna finished reading. She would have applauded right then. And I was like, somebody's got to applaud. That whole passage from Paul is, is where he is saying... You're just like your father, Adam. You're just like your mother, Eve. But Jesus has now declared you righteous. Here's the end of that passage. Consequently, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. Just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Paraphrase. You can't do it. It's okay. It's been done for you. See, The passages of Scripture we've been reading today are about the fact that we gave in to the temptation from a tempter and Jesus has started the process of defeating that tempter. Now, wilderness in Scripture is very important. It's often referred to as desert. We think of desert as in sand. That is true in many of the cases here. But it's more wilderness. Wilderness in the sense of there may be trees and such there, but it's a lonely place separated from others. The passage that Kaylee read today starts with us in the garden, surrounded with all God's goodness, and we choose evil, and we are chased out into the wilderness. If you read the passage, it's for our own protection. The passage that I read today is the Son of God surrounded by goodness, going out into the wilderness to defeat the tempter, to begin the process of bringing us back into the presence of God. That's why we remember we are dust. Not so that we leave this place sad and and guilt-ridden, but so that we are ready to accept His grace and say, I can't earn it. 
I need someone else to defeat the tempter in my life. I need someone else to defeat my selfishness. I need someone else to defeat my hurtful actions. I need someone else to come and declare me righteous because my self-discipline will never do it. And it doesn't mean we don't try. We try really hard. It means we're not dependent on our trying for our victory. He is the one who will crush the serpent's head. He is the one who will say to the tempter, and I call him the tempter because that's what he does again and again. He proclaims that you are unworthy, that I am unworthy. That's what Hasatan means. He is the adversary. He is the accuser. Satan literally means the one who accuses, who says, ha ha, you tried really hard and you failed. That means you're a failure. Rather than the the one who crushes the serpent's head and says, I call you friends. So on Lent, we come to remember Not that our self-discipline's worthless. It's just not good enough. And the joy is we don't have to be good enough because we have been declared good enough by the one who has the right to do that. That's what Joanna and Eric read. We've been brought back in to the place of God from the wilderness. So while my stomach growls, I don't know if y'all could hear that or not, Before I end, does anybody have anything to add? Go for it, Clance. All right, that's interesting. So if you heard, Clancy said, sometimes I think of it with the story of Buddha, where Buddha goes out into the, to the wilderness and becomes enlightened and then comes back. There's a difference. I can't go back to my scripture. This happens after the declaration of who he is. So if you read the passage before this, uh, if you notice the scripture I read, it says immediately after. So does anybody know what happens right before the, the temptations? His baptism. Jesus' baptism, which you could declare almost like a coronation, because what happens is he is anointed, and the Father says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Buddha goes out and earns this enlightenment through right actions. Jesus is declared, you're my Son. So I think the biggest difference is that Jesus going out in the wilderness was not a I'm going to learn this. It was, this is who I am. Now I start the process of bringing those in the wilderness back in. I would describe that as the biggest difference. Now there's big differences between Buddhism and Christianity also. Buddhism at its core is ultimately uh, suffering comes out of desire, therefore you get rid of desire. Christianity is, in many ways, the opposite is uh, like going back to appetites. Your appetites are God-given. Your appetites are are God glorifying in that sense. One of the best things we can do is to use our appetites to glorify God, i.e., we literally eat as a symbol of remembrance of Jesus. 
We taste, in, in our case, the Welch's grape juice. <laughs> we don't deny ourselves the Welch's. We taste the Welch's, and it reminds us. There's, there's good in Buddhism. I'm just saying there's big differences there. There's good all around us because of the fact that God is the creator here. Anything that's true belongs to Him, regardless of where it comes from. But there's also difference. I believe Jesus is the ultimate way. Anybody else before I close this down? Okay, I'm going to take that as a no. So here's what I, I hope you get out of this. A few things. One, your self-discipline, it has some advantages. Don't hear me say it's wrong, okay? I know I'm talking to a group of people that have a lot of discipline. I know that. I'm not saying, don't use it at all. I like the, word, the phrase best practices, Best practices mean this is usually helpful, but it's not always helpful. <laughs> See, legalism is if you do this, this, and this, that's going to happen. It's a guarantee. Best practices, well, Kaylee, in your work, you can tell people some really good things that will probably help. Have you ever told people some good things that would probably help and it didn't help at all? Yeah, because <laughs> sometimes it does, I think of it like gardening. You can do everything right, or in my case, you can do everything wrong, and stuff grows. And, and those of you who are gardeners, I'm going to look at Ellen right now. You can do everything right, and then suddenly, it's like the seeds go, nah, not going to grow. Or hail. Or hail. I didn't even, I didn't think of that. <laughs> Difference between a farmer and, and a non-farmer. I'm like, nature's good. <laughs> and you're like, no, it's not. <laughs> Ice comes from the sky. Your discipline's good. It just can't bring you ultimate meaning. And what I love about Lent is it's a reminder that it doesn't have to. At the end of the day, we are declared righteous. You're good enough. So when you fail, and you will fail, many of us will fail literally the second we walk out of this room, you may have failed while I'm saying that. I think my southern accent is coming out as I say the word fail. When you fail, much like an addict, you have the choice of, do I turn back to Jesus? Do I get up again or do I stay down? The tempter is wanting you to go, you're just a terrible person. Jesus is saying, oh, come on. And he grabs us by the hand and lifts us up out of the water. So this week, remember you are dust. But remember that the creator of the universe creates and breathes life into figures made of dust. Would you join with me in, closing, in singing our closing prayer, which we have already sung? And I'm excited about that. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.
If you are our guest today, there are guest cards in the back. If you fill it out, I will bribe you with a, with a meal or with a cup of coffee just to say thank you for being here today because we really do appreciate it. Remember, God's grace is all around us. It is given to you. But it's hard for us to receive it when we're too busy going, I can just work harder. It's meant for people that are made of dust. Have a great week, okay? Thank you for joining us on video.